We're going to continue this week in uh, a sermon series we started last week, and we're going to con- finish it next week on the Easter story and why it's such a big deal. I think it's obvious, right? Like it's talked about a lot. Even in the press, you'll see people talking about Easter right now. But, but really, what, what is going on with Easter? It's such a big deal. I want to uh, do what we always do here at Family Bible. I want to pray. That's not usual, right? Most churches will pray. But we want to pray at this time. And we pray for a couple of things. We pray that God would be our teacher right? That we would uh, be taught by his word and taught by his spirit, and we believe that's what God does, okay? So if you're uh, willing to pray with me, I'm going to ask you to, to pray right now. Father God, we thank you so much for the resurrection of your son and our Savior Jesus. I pray that today as we come into your presence to uh, give you glory that you are due, that we would also be imparted with wisdom and understanding that we would, we would learn from you, Father. For all of our friends gathered here today, I pray that you would bless them in this time, that they would have an amazing relational experience with you that only you can bring. I pray, Father, for uh, your Holy Spirit to be our teacher today, mine too, that I would learn greatly today from your word and that we would grow together as your people to know what this Easter resurrection is all about. May you be glorified. May you be glorified, Father. It is your day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you weren't here last week, we talked kind of about these, the, the, you know, this, uh, what Easter is all about. And um, I ask a question. If someone gave you a blank canvas, right, just, I mean, a pure white canvas and said, draw a picture of Easter, what would you draw? We talked about that last week. Like, what would it look like for you to try to communicate some of what Easter is about? I think it's an interesting exercise to, to ask the question, what are the things that we bring into Easter? And then last week, we started this year, we talked about how Jesus was called to an empty cross. Dan mentioned it today already, right? That there was an empty cross he was called to and that we're called to an empty cross as well. And that he left the cross empty, right? That drained it of its power and its authority, its right to punish or condemn. We learned that last week. Well, then today we're going to kind of take that next step. And it's, it's obvious, right, we're talking about it. It's an empty grave, that Jesus left an empty grave and why, why that matters and really, like, why does it matter in our lives every day? And then how does that apply to us? And then the third, next week we'll talk about an empty seat at the table and why that's such a powerful opportunity that right now, uniquely in our lives, right now we are given the gift of an opportunity to have a space at the table because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask you to turn with me, if you would, this morning. We're going to jump right in here to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Chapter 20. We're going to be reading verses 6 through 9. I'll give you a second to get there. All right, check it out. John, chapter 20, verse 6. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth, that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. And finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. This is the story of the Easter morning. I feel like we've heard it so many times, right? I mean, I'm sure we thought about it and talked about it and read it and studied it and prayed about it. But this story of the first shocking truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
this narrative we just read comes right in the middle of Mary Magdalene being the first one to go to the tomb and finding the body gone. Matter of fact, if you read around it, she goes and says, someone has taken his body. That's her assessment. And as a matter of fact, as we learned this morning at the sunrise service, if you read after what we just read, she still sets weeping because she's convinced someone has stolen his body, the body of the Lord. But in the middle, we have the story of the disciples who Mary went back and reported to and said, someone has stolen, and they ran to see for themselves, right? These two disciples, these two apostles, one we only know is the beloved, and the other we know is Simon Peter. The story today for us starts where it says that Simon Peter ran straight into the tomb. I was thinking about that, like, I don't know how you are if you go to a cemetery or, you, you know, you go to a mausoleum. I'm not sure my instinct is to run right in head first, you know. I, I think uh, I would have slowed down at the door. <laughs> I mean, I just want you to think about it. It'd be a little weird, right? You just right inside. But if you've looked at the Bible, you know that's how Peter works. He acts first and thinks later. And so Peter, he runs right inside the tomb. I don't know what he expected to find there, right? Mary Magdalene already reported, there is no body. They've taken him. But I think it's worth looking and seeing exactly what Peter did see when, when he went inside. I think it's worth taking a moment and just thinking about what it means that, because this is written down for a purpose for us and that there's, it matters what he saw. What does it say? He ran and he reached the tomb. Look at verse 5. He bent down or bent over, looked in, and saw, oh, that's the wrong guy. That's, that's the beloved disciple. We're going to come to him in a minute. Okay, here we go. Peter went into the tomb, verse 6. He saw the strips of linen laying there, as well as a burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. Those are the two signs that he sees, Right? The one would have been the cloth that had been wrapped, if you read in the, earlier in the text, that was wrapped around Jesus' body to prepare it for burial. And it seems that they were just thrown on the floor. Maybe. Doesn't say, does it? But they're discarded. And then it says, he also saw this other thing, this, um, let's see here. The cloth that had been around, the burial cloth that was around Jesus' head. But it wasn't laying with the other linens. It was laying separate. Matter of fact, the word says that it was laid, folded up. What, is, what does that mean? Maybe like me, you've heard people talk about this before, the idea that these things were treated differently. Matter of fact, maybe you've even gone and seen that touring shroud of uh, Turin that bears the likeness of Jesus on it. And people, oh, that must be the cloth. But here in the biblical witness, we have these two distinct witnesses that something has happened. The strips of linen are on the ground, and the burial cloth is laying aside. I want to say one simple thing to you about this. It seems whatever it was was on purpose. You know, I'm not sure what you imagine resurrection to look like. But many times you could just imagine like if the body would disappear. You ever seen a magician do a trick and they have the cloth on the thing and all of a sudden they just go woof and then there's no one there, right? Like you can just imagine maybe that, that Jesus was in the, the grave clothes and then he just 
disappeared and they just fell flat where they were. But that's not what the narrative tells us. It says that the linens were on the floor and the face shroud was folded and set aside. At the very least, it says there's something that's very intentional about the resurrection of Jesus. This is not a haphazard scene. Matter of fact, I would even venture to say this is not a chaotic exit. There was no hurry involved. Now, this should come to a surprise, as a surprise to us because um, I, I'm not sure we can even fully imagine a resurrection, let alone a very intentional one, <laughs> where every step was taken for a purpose to demonstrate something to those who would come after. I want you to imagine the scene with me for a minute. You can pick who you are. You're the beloved disciple or you're Simon Peter. I want you to really imagine for a moment that you're there. That you hear testimony that the body is gone and you show up. What does it look like? What are your immediate thoughts when you get to the empty tomb? The scripture says a couple times here that they have to bend down to peer inside. You know, have you ever seen the, a lot of artwork of Easter? There's like this huge cavernous hole, right? And there's Jesus in the middle of it. Or this, this huge stone that rolls away. You know, there's this big entrance. But repeatedly the text says, no, they, they, they had to bend down and kind of go inside. The text says that the beloved disciple got there first and he did not go in. But Peter went right in the door. Actually, I think in a minute the text says that Mary Magdalene stooped down low and looked inside herself you go in there and, and and what do you find cloth maybe you put on your detective hat right away and you think well what, what what does this mean what does it mean we know a couple other things by the way the tomb was hewn out of a rock it was uh, best understanding i have like a cave but it was like a man-made thing right they dug a hole in a rock place of honor a place to remember someone who is dearly important to you. As a matter of fact, that's why Mary Magdalene was there that Easter morning, to honor her Lord. But look at verse 8. The word says, after you are there, you see everything. Look at verse 8. Finally, <laughs> after all this waiting around outside, finally, the other disciple who reached the tomb first, also goes inside. Peter's already in there. He's got it laid out. He knows where the stuff's at. He saw what's where and know how it's working. This, the disciple who's beloved, <laughs> don't miss that, goes in. And the word just simply says this. He saw and believed. Believed what? What, what did the beloved disciple believe? You got Mary Magdalene thinking somebody's taking the body. You got Peter in there scratching his head, just looking at cloth. And you got the beloved disciple who saw the same stuff that both Mary Magdalene and Peter saw and believed. Maybe like me, you're going to say, well, he believed Jesus was raised from the dead. <laughs> That's what he believed, right? I mean, he, he didn't believe what the others believed. Why would they even say, say he believed? That's a different thing. He actually believed something about Jesus. Verse 9 confirms it. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. 
My translation has that in parentheses, like it's an afterthought, you know? Like, uh, they didn't understand yet that he had to rise from the dead. Like a little side comment to you as the reader. John, or the apostle who is beloved, I almost called him John, the beloved apostle, believed what he saw. Now I want to say one final thing here about this empty tomb. The text records that they didn't understand from Scripture, but the apostle who's beloved believed already that Jesus had to rise from the dead, be raised from the dead. Many ways to think about this, right? We think about the, the crucifixion of Jesus, and we think about it often, and I've been humped this year on this, and I apologize if it's just me, but I've been humped on this idea that we are so caught up in the human drama of Jesus' suffering that we forget the God-sized drama of what truly was taking place. We can't imagine a person suffering that much, and we can't imagine a person suffering for me that much. But here's this absolute righteous judgment of God upon his son. And he pays this price that no one could pay. He gives up his spirit. And then here, on Easter morning, when the apostles, the disciples enter in, they find nothing. But the beloved disciple believes. I say that uh, we don't look at this rightly because we believe somehow that there was some alternative conclusion to this matter. Listen, we believe that somehow evil could overcome the very commands of God. We fall into the trap of the enemy who thinks that, oh, Jesus failed, or we failed him. Something didn't go according to plan. But you see, it's caught there in verse 9. It says, they did not understand from Scripture yet what? That Jesus must be raised from the dead. Must be raised from the dead. Um, another way you could say it is, it was required in Scripture that Jesus would be raised from the dead. It was necessary that he be raised from the dead. It wasn't a footnote to the gospel story. Matter of fact, my favorite interpretation is it was inevitable that he be raised from the dead. There was no wondering would it happen or why would it happen or how would it happen. It was going to happen. And what does that tell us about the empty tomb? It tells us the totality of the gospel story that God wins. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense to you in this broken and sinful world that God wins, but that's the story of the gospel, that God wins, that it's inevitable, this resurrected life. One other thing. As you know, if you've read some of the Bible, this resurrection of Jesus was a physical resurrection. You'll remember later on, well, in a minute here, Mary Magdalene's told, don't hold on to me. I have not yet gone to the Father. And then later on, Thomas, the doubting disciple, says, I'll believe when I touch him. And Jesus is like, here, touch me. It's a and later on, he eats fish on the beach, right? I mean, later on, he's physically raised. So much of this is hard 
for us to understand. But here's the truth. It was all inevitable. So that's the first thing, just that the, there's an empty grave, right? So now I want to ask you a really practical question. What does that have to do with our life? You know? Jesus' grave was empty, and we this morning say, hallelujah, hallelujah, his grave was empty. He was raised from the dead. Some would even say, well, that proves he was God. So that's what we really needed out of the resurrection was proof that Jesus is God. I mean, the fact that he said it wasn't enough, but the fact that he proved it because he was raised from the dead, that's the end of it, and that's why he was raised, just to prove that he is God. But there's more to the story. See, the truth is, that you and I will be called to an empty grave also. I want you to read with me, if you would, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 11. They give it up there, yeah, verses 40 through 44. Just flip back a few pages there. You should find it. This is at the death of a friend of Jesus, someone that was beloved by him. And I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but, you know, there was some, like, intentionality involved in this. <laughs> like, Jesus didn't show up too late for the party. He didn't miss the opportunity, right? There's, you want to read the backstory? Read the backstory. I, I encourage you to do that. But I want to read what Jesus said in verse 40. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This happens earlier in the story. <laughs> this resurrection happens earlier in the story. And some things that I think are worth thinking about is this. Jesus says these words to Mary and uh, Martha. Uh, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And I have a simple question for you this morning, right? Easter Sunday, you know? Uh, do you want to see the glory of God in your life? And you might say, well, that's a stupid question. Of course I do. Every, who wouldn't want to see the glory of God, right? You, you would think it would be a foregone conclusion. Of course we would. But do you look at what Jesus said? He said, did I not say to you that if you believed you would see the glory of God. Why am I so incredulous? Because so many people will say, I just don't believe that. Talk about a physical resurrection of Jesus. I just don't believe that. He's a good teacher, a good leader. Yeah, pretty good guy. Okay, fair enough. God, I just don't believe that. And then our whole lives are filled with disappointments and hurts, and we, and we just go, where's God's glory? Look at what he says. If, did I not say, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? I want to back up. Two disciples race into the tomb. One goes straight in. The other one stops outside and then finally goes in. What does he see? What does he believe? 
the glory of God, man. If I had to say one thing about Easter, it is about the glory of God. The glory of God. Jesus says to them, if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. Well, the word records here, they took away the stone and Jesus looked up. This, by the way, he's four days dead, right? The resurrection of Jesus in three days is four days. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, right? And Jesus knows already. I know, I knew, past tense, that you always hear me. But I said this so that those who are sitting here today might believe you sent me. The testimony, the prayer he prays is for the benefit of the hearers, not for his relationship with the Father. He knows God hears him. He knows God heard him already. Matter of fact, and if I can offer this word to you this morning, he had absolute confidence in God's perfect timing. If you read the story, he delayed in going to his friend's grave's, uh, bedside while he was ill because God's timing is perfect. And he says, I'm praying this for their benefit that they may believe that you sent me. That's what Jesus is after. <laughs> That's what Jesus is after. That we might believe. So to that end, Jesus calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, man. And look at what the word says. I mean, look at what the word says. The dead man came out. The dead man came out. <laughs> like, that ought to surprise us a little bit, right? What? The dead man came out. The word in Greek is necros. Like, and that meant dead. It didn't mean he was kind of sick. I mean, he was dead. And he was called out of the grave at Jesus' command. Why? At the Father's, you know, gift or behest that he had, he had said, I've already asked you for this and you're going to give it to me that they might believe and he calls the dead man out. That'll freak you out a little bit this Easter Sunday. And then we get details. Check it out. It says this about the dead man. His hands and his feet were wrapped with strips of linen. That might sound familiar, eh? And a cloth was around his face. A couple things here. Lazarus is called out of the grave, right? And he's bound up. He's obedient. <laughs> he comes out, but he's bound up. His hands and his feet are bound with linens. It's not the same exact word as the linens found in the story of Jesus' resurrection. But isn't it interesting that he's still bound? And is it interesting that the, the cloth is still on his face, the burial cloth, the shroud? He, 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 he can't. We know he can't get it off because it says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Like he's helpless to do this himself. He's been raised. But he's helpless to do this himself. What, is, what does that mean? A literal, physical resurrection. Right? It means he had no power to do anything, no power to go anywhere, no power to see anything, right? He, and I want you, I asked you a minute ago to imagine, I asked you to imagine the scene of Jesus' resurrection. I want you to imagine the scene of Lazarus' resurrection. Right? All of a sudden you're back, but you're bound up. You can't see what's happening. To me, this is the 
ministry of the church, the ministry of the church, to take off grave clothes and let people go. Too long in bondage. Too long with the lie of the inevitability of the the price of death, right? Too long bound up in the price of sin. No. Jesus died that we'd be free. So take off the grave clothes and let them go. Let them be free. This is the opportunity that the gospel offers us. This is the opportunity to new life that we are given. See, the truth is this Easter Sunday, we are called to be resurrection people. This whole concept is a stumbling block to those who don't believe. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're like, man, I just, I just, I've never seen a dead person raised yet. I don't know. And that's a stumbling block for you. That's no accident. This is the very testimony of God about what he promises to do for his people. It's demonstrated here in Jesus' own life, and then it's demonstrated again in Jesus' own resurrection that we get to see a literal resurrection from the dead. And then, listen, we're called to live free. Never be bound again. Free to know, to serve, to love, to be, to be right before God. (laughs) Can I just say a good thing you want to hear is your name called by Jesus after death? (laughs) Like, can you, I mean, Lazarus, come out? Yes, sir. Bill, come out? Yes, sir. Coming, coming, sir. That's good news. I want to offer you two thoughts on resurrected life this morning. Jesus was raised from the dead. This is our hope, right? But I offer you two thoughts about this. One, there's this idea of a spiritual resurrection, right? We're all dead in our sin and transgressions, right? We're all walking around in, in broken and failing bodies, and we need a spiritual awakening to kind of shake us out of our slumber, to wake us up right? And God does this a whole bunch of different ways. And maybe for you it hasn't happened yet, but listen, God's working on it. He's trying to wake us up to pay attention to this new life that we're offered in Jesus Christ. As we've heard this morning already, that the truth is that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, his spirit lives in us. And it's the beginning of that unbinding of the grave clothes that we've lived in our whole lives. And we have to learn to walk around in this new body and be a new person. That's what the New Testament is written about. Learn to be a new person because of what Jesus did. And there's a spiritual resurrection in this life. I hope you know that, right? We aren't people who believe that, well, yeah, we're going to die. That's, that's kind of what Mary and Martha said. Well, we know the resurrection then over there somewhere, but for now we're just stuck and waiting. And that, Jesus says, no, it's like right now. You're going to see the resurrection. That's true. But then the second thing is that there's going to be a literal physical resurrection. That it's not just for just now. That it isn't just like have a spiritual awakening and then live the rest of your life and that's, oh, that's going to be it, right? Like, like that's not the end of the story. But indeed, and listen, the, 
Bible is filled with wisdom on this. There's going to be a literal resurrection of a literal body, and it's going to be a spiritual form, but a physical form, and it's going to be the glory of God, and we're going to partake with him in a resurrected life. And so you have these kind of two things happening at the same time. We get to taste it now, but we get to know it later. Like we get to hear a little bit now, but we get to be called out of the grave later. And this changes everything. It should change everything for believers in Jesus. The fact that you know in this life that through the grave it will be empty. The fact that we should know that when you're standing in a cemetery or a mausoleum or next to a tomb, it shouldn't be creepy or weird because it's resurrection ground. It's going to be a spot for the glory of God. And not just those physical places, but every person, every place that ultimately there will be an accounting on that day. What a glorious day. Resurrected life. So you have these two different things. You have the spiritual resurrection right now, and then you have a physical resurrection on the last day. Raised to life. All this talk, and you know, you might go, well, that's okay for you. I, I get that you believe that. Uh, I'm not sure I'm with you. I, I want to say one more thing to you about resurrection this morning, and that's this. Resurrection is required. In this day of like kind of cafeteria-style everything in our lives, we take what we want, leave what we don't, you know, we might want to leave resurrection on the table and say, I'm just not, I don't know about that whole death, resurrection thing. You know, I, I can believe in Jesus, sort of. I want to put some uh, scripture on the screen here. This is um, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, Corinthians 15. And uh, I'm going to read around a little bit here, verses uh, 17 through 20. Listen to the word. I'm going to read a little before this, starting 14. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So, like, there's no value to the Christian faith if Jesus was not raised from the dead. That's what Paul writes to the church. By the way, it's the church people who are believing. He's like, listen, resurrection is not optional. Your faith is useless if Jesus was not raised from the dead. Verse 15, more than that, we are then found to be liars about God because we have testified that God did indeed raise Christ from the dead. So right now, this morning, like if the resurrection isn't true, I'm a blasphemer. I'm a liar because I'm lying about what God didn't do. Verse 16, I'm going to read 15 again. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God for we have testified that God has raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him from the dead if in fact the dead are not raised. And he's not saying that God didn't raise Jesus from the dead. He's going, if there's no physical resurrection, then Jesus wasn't raised either. That's what Paul's saying here. Now check it out, 16. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And then here's the kicker, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still stuck in your sin. Do you see that? That the resurrection of Jesus is required because without it, you have no solution for your sin problem. And neither do I. If there's no resurrection, I have to figure out how to pay for my sin. Then also, he says in verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. All the people who are believing before, they're lost. The Apostle Paul, lost. All the saints who testified to the gospel 
are lost if there's not a real physical resurrection of Jesus. And if our destiny is not bound to it, right? Like, our lives are hanging in the balance. And then 18, or yeah, 18, 19 says this. If only in this life we're to have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied above all people. And I've heard that said before. I've heard people say, you know, Jesus, it, it helps me with this, you know, the, the life now, right? I don't know about life forever, but life now, that's where I'm getting some help from Jesus. Paul says, no, if it's only for this life, we're to be pitied above all people because it's a lie. It's false. It's not true. But then 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Amen. <laughs> he's, he's like, you got a problem if you think Jesus isn't raised from the dead, but if he is raised from the dead, your problems are solved, and that's what he says. And Christ was raised from the dead. He is raised from the dead. And that is why we celebrate Easter. Christ is raised. Our faith is not futile. We are not stuck in our sins. And we have hope of Christ in this life, yes, and eternal life as well. Well, here's the good news. And I had to tell you today. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. This is what the word records. But what does... He's comparing two things here. The righteousness that comes by the law means I'm going to pay for my own sin and the righteousness that comes by faith. And he says, but the righteousness that, that comes by faith says this, the word is near you. The word is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we preach here. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised it from the dead, you will be saved. And you may have heard that before, right? That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised it from the dead, you will be saved. And this help that allows us to participate with him in resurrected life. But we, we see that here and we say, well, how does that work, right? How does that work? Jesus is interested in us. Like, Jesus is interested in your life. I want you to think about the tragedy of the cross. That ultimately, there was a fear of being abandoned by God. But the resurrection is about the inevitability of a God who keeps all his promises. And here it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and I know some people will just say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, right? But you're, you're saying that as a way of life. Who's in charge of your life right now? That's the question. You know, who's ruling over your life right now? Who's giving you your identity, your purpose, right? Who's defining what matters and what doesn't matter in your life right now? That's lordship. Yes, Lord. And the word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're going to be saved. Why? Because he commands us in the grave. Then the second thing, and you believe in your heart, and this is a funny thing, right? If you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you go, how, how do you believe in your heart? You just do. You just do. It's a gift of God, right? 
and, and it's like, yeah, God raised Jesus from the dead. And in those two, confession and belief, the promise comes, you will be saved. Listen, what we're not preaching, good enough. Can't be good enough. That's the point Paul made. If, if Christ isn't raised, you're still stuck in your sin and, and you, you'd be working that out hardcore right now. But no, we preach a gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for the sins of all people, dead, laid in the tomb, raised, grave clothes off, by the way, right? And living and Lord and master in our lives. And then this means a couple of things. We are resurrection people. Listen, don't fear the grave. Don't fear the grave. It's not a permanent stop, right? We, like he, will be raised. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says later in Corinthians, our cry is, death, where is your sting? New life, an empty tomb. That's a gift that we've all been given in Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you are today, and I just wanted to, like, let you know, you know, like, does, does your life, there was a band I used to follow back in the day, and they had this awesome song called All I Need is a Resurrection. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, do you need a resurrection today? Like, do you need new life today? Because Easter's not about that thing back there somewhere, something. It's about right here, right now in our lives, living as resurrection people. And this includes me, right? Like, we get to partake in resurrection. I want you to know if that that's you today, if you need some hope, if you need some resurrection, that's what Jesus came to do. Hope beyond this life hope beyond the grave. All right. We're going to pray. We're not going to have any kind of a particular response this morning. I just want you, though, right now where you are, if you feel that, like, just talk to God about it. Just talk to God. And I know some of you guys got some struggles, and you're like, man, it's been so hard. Talk to God about it. Can I just encourage you to do that? He will not leave us or forsake us. He desperately cares for the details of our lives. And so we ought to trust him with it. Pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of your gospel and the resurrected life. We thank you for the inevitability of resurrection that though we don't even understand it or see it, we know that it must be. Father, we thank you so much for your spirit's testimony about you that you would not let your son lay in the grave but you would raise him from the dead and that indeed, Father, the promises that you make to him, he makes to us and that we too will be raised. Father, for all the burdens and the struggles we come with, I just pray that we would lay those aside for a minute and listen to you and your heart for us. I pray, Father God, if it's your will and for your glory, that there are those here today who don't know you and believe you, they might come to believe you and come to be free. <laughs> Father, forbid it that we should entrap people in further enslavement, rather, but set them free in your name, out of the grave and into life. Father God, we love you so much and we only know this is possible because you have called us out. And so we testify to your goodness and your grace to us who don't deserve it, sinners that we are, that you've called us to be free. May you bless your people. May you draw hearts and minds near to you today and may there be a true resurrection spirit 
in us today. We love you so much, and we thank you for your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that's been our teacher, and your word, and your love. We pray in his name. Amen.